All right. Well, I want to introduce Tanya Morris to you. Tanya, would you join me up here? Come on up. This is the year of 52 stories. We're telling a story from a mill church attender each week in 2022. This week being a bit of an exception, and I want to tell you why. Uh, We had a worship night several weeks ago, and Tanya, in a moment of spontaneous testimony, shared a story. I was there that night, but I had to leave a little earlier, and I didn't get to hear it. And all the staff could talk about on Tuesday morning in our staff meeting was how wonderful Tanya's story was and how much it blessed and challenged them. And so I called Tanya, and I asked Tanya if she would be willing, though she lives in Wausau and attends another church, to share her testimony, her story of God's faithfulness. Would you give Tanya a warm Mill Church welcome? Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I just want to take a moment and pray before I speak. Um, Heavenly Father, I just ask for you to bring your Holy Spirit and just speak through me today. Your word says in the book of Esther that I am bored for such a time as this, Lord. I'm here and I'm doing your work, Lord, and I just pray that you open up everybody's hearts that needs to hear even a piece of this and that um, your will may, may be done through through my words today. Again, I just lift my words up to you and set myself aside. In your word, we pray. Amen. Okay, so my name is Tanya Morris, and this is my story. At a very young age, um, sexuality was opened by my grandfather. My pureness and my... Um, Sexual purity was taken away before I even knew what it was. It started in 1975 when I was seven years old. My mother and I went on a vacation to California um, to see my grandparents. Because they lived in California, I I rarely seen them. Didn't really know that, you know, didn't have a real close connection to them. For whatever reason, um, I don't know why, but my dad did not go with us. Mom and I got on a train to Amtrak train and went from Nebraska to California. This trip unknowingly would forever change my life. My childhood innocence was ripped away forever as I would now start the spiritual trauma and self-destruction. One day I innocently walked into my grandfather's workshop. He decided to touch me inappropriately. I remember feeling scared, confused, and disgusted. Kept it, I kept this from my mom. I did not tell her, and I don't remember how long we were there. I don't remember anything else about the vacation. That's all I remember. Already at seven, instead of facing the abuse and dealing with it, I tried to bury the memories. This abuse opened the door to many of the things that I walked through later in life. Two years later, at age nine, my dad and I were home. Mom was gone somewhere, and he called me into the bedroom. During this time, my father chose now to place his hands on me inappropriately and follow the role of my grandfather did. My world spiraled quickly after this. I was nine and angry and bitter and scared of my father figures. I had so much anxiety when I knew that we would have to go um, to my grandpa's house because by now he had lived right next door to us. Um, I was angry at God. My mother talked often about God and would... I was, I just wanted nothing to do with it. I was so angry at him, and I couldn't understand why would a God that she talks about that is so loving put these kind of father figures in my life. I was mad at God, and I would be, for what would become many, many years. I grew up, yes, I did grow up a mother with a mother that loved the Lord. Mom tried to pour the love of God into me, but because of the circumstances that my grandfather and my father in their generational sin chose, my little heart was already cold to Jesus, what Jesus had for me. Unhealthy relationships left me incredibly broken, and out of that broken, broken areas in my heart, I compromised in many other areas of my life. I did what every broken girl does. I found myself in many relationships with non-believers as far as men. I slowly compromised my moral standards and more and more lost myself in the process. 
I fell in love with guys quickly. I craved emotional connection and needed real love. I settled for what I could get. This got me used up in so many ways that were so painful that I couldn't even talk about. Moving forward to age 13, repeat, repeated abuse by my grandfather, who lived next door, <clears throat> opened the doors for so many moments where I chose to put myself in dangerous situations. The desire for emotional connection was still there, but I was seeking it the wrong way. I was now broken, angry, and bitter. I was starting to be promiscuous and turning to alcohol and guys in high school. The downward spiral, spiral continued. Um, I was to, to go babysit, as I told my parents, and I went to a guy's house, and there was an incident that happened that, um, again, I would have to stuff away. I left there very broken, clothes physically torn, and every choice that I made from that that was in direct opposition with the Lord's heart led me to more brokenness and shame. Outward appearance, I seemed the happiest person, but inside I was deeply, deeply broken. I couldn't be a normal teenager. I couldn't have friends over because my father would sneak in the bedroom at night and try to touch them. I stuffed it and just dealt with it, and I felt like it was my fault. I still hadn't mentioned a word to my mother at this, at this point, but ended up being ever. Um, now age 19, I'm stepping into marriage. The man I married joined the army and started, and we were stationed overseas. The abuse quickly started to show. He was very emotionally abusive. Um, quickly it started to go on to our two-year-old daughter, and that's when I chose to take two suitcases and leave. Um, it spiraled into the next marriage. And that husband was a really great guy, but he was, a, he was an alcoholic. I sat down with him, and I said, it's going to have to be the girls. I had had a second daughter by now. It's going to have to be the girls, or it's going to have to be the, the drinking. And he says, I can't stop drinking. I don't want to. So we left. We, we ended up divorcing. Um, <clears throat> during the same time of the second divorce, I had lost the one rock in my life, and that was my mom. She passed away of cancer in 1996. Through that, more, more bitterness, more depression, more anger for God. He took my mom. <clears throat> and I just, I remember thinking, why? Why would he take my mom? Why would he leave me with my dad? My grandfather was still alive at that time. I didn't understand. So... <clears throat> Moving through that relationship and that marriage, uh, uh, divorce, I went into a third marriage. We lived together for about four or five years, and then we got married. We ended up being together seven years, but, again, an abusive pattern. Um, he was very abusive verbally and emotionally, and it started to be physically toward my children. By now, my kids were in, so like, junior high and high school age, and I was now starting to lose the relationship with the two gifts that God gave me, and that was my children. Things were spiraling. I was starting to go to the bars. I was drinking. Um, but the one thing that stuck in my head is I'm losing my daughters. I'm losing my daughters, and they are the one reason that always kept me going. They were the one thing that kept me from not taking my life and to continue to move forward. But now I was losing them because of my choices. So we, I ended up divorcing that man, and we moved into an apartment by ourselves. Um, and guess what? I met another guy. <laughs> this guy was, um, I know now looking back that he, he was placed in my life by God. He was very toxic, and he was very scary. Um, I could see very quickly um, that I needed to get out. But he said one thing to me. He said, please come to my church. Just check it out. It, it could change your life forever. Well, it did. Um, he did not have any relationship with the Lord. He just faked it. Um, but I stepped through those doors, and that's when I started seeing the love of Christ in people. And they were so welcoming, and they were like my mom. I'm like, I want that. So one night, 
I was by myself, and I just got on my knees and cried out to the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, I see that I am the common denominator in all of my marriages. Help me. And I just laid it out to him. And from that day forward, I gave my life to, to Christ. And um, But I was still in this scary situation with this guy. He was mentally not stable. So one night, um, I was still kind of frequenting the bars. And um, this guy walked in the bar. And I, it was just different. I, I can't explain it. It was God. Um, we ended up... I. It, kind of a long story, but he ended up um, hearing my story and the situation I was in, and he was my protector. From that day forward, he's always been my protector. He got me out of that situation. He physically came there and moved my stuff out, um, and um, he's still here with me today. He, he was definitely placed there by God, and through that, I had told him, I said, I started a relationship with the Lord, and I'm, I'm going to walk this the right way. I am not going to be intimate with you. And if you can't do that, then we can't be in a relationship. He waited patiently. And to this day, my husband, Wade Morris, he was also set free from being an alcoholic. So God definitely divinely put us together for this very moment. People, I'm here to tell you, no matter what you've been through, God sees you. He, will, he pursues you, and he wants you to come to a relationship with him. I just ask that um, if you don't have anybody, you have me. You can come to me. I've been through so many things that I don't have time to touch on here, but I guarantee that whatever you've been through, I've probably been through it or had a family member that's been through it. I've had, through this walk, when I was losing my daughters, I had a daughter that dove into drugs and uh, drug abuse and was dealing with addiction. I walked through that. Um, I definitely have walked through alcohol, alcoholism with many people. So I just pray for each and every heart that is hearing this today that um, you are able to surrender to God, that you find someone. If it's me, it's me. I'll do it. I'm here to do God's work. I do have some connection cards. If anybody would like one, um, feel free to come up to me. One thing, last thing I wanted to say, if you're a little bit confused and think that maybe you've walked through these things and it's not bothering you, this is what it looks like. PTSD, anxiety, depression, risky behaviors, physical aggression or anger, substance abuse, health issues, um, it's proven statistic that it causes health issues, in, especially in females, um, severe PMS, chronic headaches, reproductive and sexual complaints, fibromyalgia. Those are all things. If you've walked through a situation like me and you have these things, Satan is trying to take a hold of you. So I just ask that you lay those at, his, at God's feet and um, make that first step. That's all I have. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Tanya, what does your shirt say? Trusting God with his healing grace. Something every one of us could, could do more often. Um, your story today was raw and uh, real and I know painful, very painful for you, what you have gone through and I Appreciate you having the courage to share that with us this morning and again in the second service. And I'll tell you guys that um, the purpose of doing this this year is twofold. One, so that you can hear what God has brought people through and celebrate what God has brought people through and delivered people from. Uh, the other purpose is that some of you who maybe are walking through something similar um, will have a connection point to a story of, of deliverance. And on multiple occasions already in 2022, those who have shared have had people approach them and say, either I've been through the same thing or I'm going through what you've been through right now. Can we talk about it? That is a powerful 
and profound uh, purpose to the sharing of these stories. And so as, as courageous as Tanya was today to share, if you're going through something similar or you have deep-rooted pain in your life that isn't resolved from something in your past, I would encourage you to approach Tanya and talk to her and share and collaborate and meet for coffee and do what uh, would be helpful to you in terms of your own spiritual growth and recovery. It's, it's profoundly powerful. So that's my recommendation to anyone and everyone who listens to any particular story is schedule a coffee date, talk about it, and receive strength from one another. That's the purpose of having brothers and sisters in Christ. We do a meet and greet every Sunday morning. Um, the purpose of coming to church is not the meet and greet, right? That's just to get people a little better acquainted. Uh, the hope is that it will evolve into friendships and we have a group of seniors in our church who are getting ready to embark this spring on a six or eight of them on a RV trip out west. And it's like, you know, an introduction that began with a meet and greet is turning into lifelong friendships. And that's just beautiful. Did you know that we need friends? Are you aware of that? We need friends and uh, people that will challenge us in particular in our faith. So, Make that a priority, okay? That's my little addendum uh, as your pastor this morning. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Colossians 2, 8 through 10. If you have your Bibles along, you can turn there at the Mill Church. We just simply walk through a book of the Bible. We're going to take a few more verses today. Uh, as you're turning, did anybody watch the Final Four last night? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, a few of you. Um, not many, but I will just say as a Tar Heel fan, I'm from North Carolina. My cousins went to school at Chapel Hill. My first cousins, I would have, but I was called to ministry and I went to a Bible college instead. Um, but people have come up to me and said, you know, uh, even since last night, congratulations, you're making it to the national championship. And I will tell you that any Hills fan response to that would be, you don't understand, last night was the championship. We played Duke University and ended Mike Krzyzewski's career. That's just like icing on the cake. Like it does not get any better than that. As the Bible says, you, you know, do things for your children's children. I will tell my children's children about uh, last night. It was awesome. So anyways, that has nothing to do with this morning's worship service uh, at all. So Colossians 2, uh, verses 8 through 10, I'll read to you now. See to it that no one takes you captive according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I'll read that again. See to it that no one takes you captive according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I find it uh, very, I would say coincidental, if I weren't a pastor, I'll, I'll say providential instead, that uh, the nature of Tanya's story related to the elemental spirits of the world. I had no idea, Tanya. I did not get briefed on what you would share. I only knew that you had a powerful story, and I asked no more questions. So I was hearing it for the first time this morning along with everyone else. Um, but I want to talk to you guys today about the elemental spirits. Uh, right now, we have a war happening on the European continent when the Apostle Paul uses the word captive. Uh, understand that this is a word that's usually used in reference to those taken against their will in warfare. So this word captive, which some Ukrainians to be clear, are experiencing right now in being transported to Russia out of their homeland and against their will, um, this word captive, normally used in the militaristic sense, 
um, is an interesting choice by the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to a new church. Here it's being used to communicate that we, the people of God, need to make absolutely every effort to guard against the spirits of this world so that we do not become captive to them. So Paul is saying, look, I'm going to use some military language because this is no small matter. And I want you to understand its importance, the severity of the ways in which the world can corrupt the believer. So to borrow an illustration from last Sunday, I told you about my dad uh, falling out of a uh, raft on the Okoe River in Tennessee when we were whitewater rafting with a couple of my buddies in college. My dad corrected me after the service and said he didn't grab my friend Emily and pull her into the water when he had swam back to the boat. He grabbed Emily and the guide of the raft and pulled them both into the water. So that was a bit of an update that I uh, did not recall sharing the story last Sunday. So um, what's your point, Pastor? The point is this, that I use this illustration to illuminate that culture is a strong current. And it will pull you. And you will have to fight spiritually, some physically, uh, relationally, financially, um, for your well-being. Because you're going to be pulled away from Jesus. This is just the way that life works, the life of the people of God. So there are philosophies, there are ideologies out there that will seek to drown you. And if you do not make every effort to guard against the spirits of the world, uh, you will find yourself sinking. And so this is why it's so important to stay in the flow of God's grace, which is what Tanya's t-shirt communicated this morning, and keep growing in the Lord. And of course, philosophy isn't a bad thing in and of itself. In another lifetime, I would have majored in philosophy. I had that thought going through college, like I just love philosophy, and I love the philosophy majors that I would meet. They always seemed so interesting in conversation and and dialogue, I think it's fun terrain, philosophy. Philosophy is, there's nothing wrong with it at face value. It literally means the pursuit of wisdom. That's what philosophy means. And so the early church gave us philosophers like Augustine, okay? The uh, 13th century gave us a philosopher in Thomas Aquinas. The 17th century gave us the philosopher Blaise Pascal. I, I believe he was French. He is the one that I quote often in, in having said that each of us have a God-shaped hole inside of us and that only God who is God-shaped, he's the only one who is God-shaped, can fit inside that space to get into our soul. Anything else we try to shove through that God-shaped hole won't fit, Right? So then we had in the 20th century C.S. Lewis. Anybody read C.S. Lewis? Uh, if you have not read his seminal work, uh, Mere Christianity, it's one of the greatest books, Christian books. It's a very short read, one of the greatest books of the 20th century. I would absolutely encourage you to do that. Um, it's a classic, and I would add in general that if you like reading Christian literature, I think it's... It do, a lot of us, a lot of good to read some Christian classics in lieu of the latest and greatest, to read thinkers who have, who have stood the course of time. Um, I uh, just had Andy send me a text message a few weeks ago, Andy Savikas, and say, I'm reading this book by a guy named A.W. Tozer. And I'm like, dude, Tozer is timeless. Have you read Knowledge of the Holy? It's his best one. He says, no, I'm going to get it. i got to read it. It's about the attributes of God. It's just so wonderful. So, so try to pick some classics. And I, I, I should put together a list. I don't have a recommended list 
per se written down, but um, they're, they're fascinating and uh, they're so much better, in my opinion, and deeper than just whatever the latest trend is in uh, Christian authors, generally speaking. So I would say that there are men and women over the course of history who took concretely the biblical command to love God with all their mind, okay? So they're thinkers, they're philosophizer. That's not the right word. They're philosophical. Let me just say it that way. Um, and I had too many syllables I'm trying to think through this morning. While I'm still a bit sleepy, I didn't have enough coffee before I came to church. So I would encourage you to read a Christian literature. It's all good and helpful. It's not all good, but it's generally good and helpful. And our Bible even gives us, see, before we had the Greeks who were philosophers, we had Hebrew philosophers. Lots of people think that, that the Greeks were like the trailhead of philosophy, that everything came after the Greeks. But the truth is, in the Bible, we have Hebrew philosophers we have a whole section of the scriptures called wisdom literature. And if you think about it, the book of Proverbs is kind of like a philosophy of life. The book Song of Solomon is kind of like a philosophy of love um, and romance. The book Ecclesiastes is, is kind of a philosophy on the meaning of life and how short it is and, and, and how in many ways meaningless it is if you let it be. And so um, Proverbs, I think I mentioned. So the Bible gets Job, right? A book about, it's a philosophy about suffering. Uh, many of you have, have suffered. Job, Job really, really suffered. Um, so to be clear, Christians are not against critical thought because we come from a tradition of critical thinkers. But what Paul is warning us about here is the mindset of our popular culture, of the philosophies of popular culture, the worldview of popular culture. As it is today, uh, it was being taught in Paul's day in New Testament universities and pop culture, and reinforced in social circles, where cultural trends and pressures and the flow of society was absolutely pitted against Christianity and its values. And so people were being pushed outside of the Bible, outside of their brothers and sisters, their Christian relationships, away from Jesus Christ. And Paul says, be careful that you do not become enslaved to wrong ways, I'm paraphrasing now, of thinking. Ways of thinking that will take you captive. There are ways of thinking, I would hope you would agree, that will enslave you. Those of you who are still in high school, there are ways of thinking that will enslave you and continue to enslave you, and if I were to really bring this down to earth, I would say chances are they're the ways of thinking that most of the people at your school exude, okay? It's the ways of the world, and Christianity always swims against the ways of the world. These ways do not lead to freedom, they lead to bondage. There are so many ways of thinking out there today that are absolutely empty in nature. They're not helpful. I would hope you would agree that not everything that is trending is true. Would you say that with me? Turn to your neighbor. Not everything that's trending is true. One more time. Not everything that's trending is true. That is true, okay? It's true that not everything that's trending is true. Um, it may look good. It may even feel good, but at its best, it's a placebo, and at its worst, it's poison. 
At its best, it has no power to nourish and heal the soul. And at its worst, it's destructive and it's dangerous. Every once in a great while we hear, oh, we found this this ancient manuscript or this ancient group of people who had their own view of Jesus Christ. And maybe they were right. And maybe this is all just some big conspiracy. Maybe he was just a great teacher. Or maybe he was just a great philanthropist. Maybe Jesus wasn't God. Maybe he was just nice. Maybe he was just benevolent. Well, no. Remember, church family, that God's word is timeless. It's timeless philosophy. It's classic philosophy. It's true philosophy. It doesn't just appeal back to old days and old sources. It it doesn't appeal to outdated ways of thinking. It appeals back to a person who is called the Ancient of Days and is the eternal character of God who created all things, who is calling us home to himself at a day to be decided and determined by God. Well, I guess he's determined it, but he hasn't let anybody know what the day is. So don't as much as reach for the elemental spirits of the world. Paul is talking here and essentially saying they're, they're demonic. And C.S. Lewis said there, there are two unhealthy uh, extremes where people land as it pertains to thinking about demons, the demonic. Okay, one extreme is that uh, they don't, think that demons exist, that's a very dangerous place to be philosophically. If you don't think that demons exist, if you don't believe that there's a world behind the world that we see with our own eyes, that there's truly a spiritual realm. So if you don't believe in it, C.S. Lewis says, that's a very dangerous place to be philosophically. If you do put too much stock in demons to the point that you're fearful of them, that's another place, another extreme where you don't want to be. So there may be someone here who would say this morning, I don't believe in Satan. I don't believe in demons. That's crazy talk. Then there may be somebody else who says, every time that your car battery dies, I've got a demon living under my hood, right? Satan's out to get me. He's after me this week. Okay, we hear things like this. Christians who think rightly about demons, we're not terrified of them and we don't unnecessarily blame them for everything under the sun. How many of you know sometimes it's not demons, it's just dumb? It's just dumb. Okay, if you drop an object on your toe, there wasn't a demon involved in that. That was just dumb, right? That was just something you you did see. But there is, at the same time, you don't want to err on the other side of the spectrum where you don't believe in them at all because they're after you. The the devil himself, who was a fallen angel, uh, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He's called a lion in the scriptures who's, who's roaming about. And he has fallen angels under him who's working for him. Um... And uh, obviously seeking our demise. So Christians who think rightly about demons, they acknowledge that there is a world we cannot see and that it absolutely impacts and affects the world that we do see. So there are principalities and powers. There is another realm. There is a legion, a legion, a gr- it's a military term, a group of demons Uh, who are seeking our destruction. This is not symbolic, the Bible teaches. This is not a metaphor. Uh, This is a literal, capable force of fallen angels 
who are now working for the enemy of God, and they have learned that the best way to ruin your life is not actually dropping an object on your toe or depleting your car battery life. Um, Rather, they influence the way that you think. And this is why Paul says, don't give in to elemental spirits. And this is why he refers to them as the philosophies of this world. Because C.S. Lewis rightly points out that demons get at us not by incidental accidents, but by changing the ways that we think, okay? So um, they do so through powerful ideologies and trends and even other world religions. Did you know that the Bible talks about other world religions even having counterfeit signs and wonders? That the Antichrist will actually do miracles when he shows up on the scene and everybody will say, oh my goodness, this guy is notable. We'd better bow to him. We'd better worship to him. Well, wait a minute. We're told in the New Testament that this is going to happen. There are both holy and unholy spirits, right? So 1 John says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they come from God. So if you're here this morning and you would say something resonates with me from Tanya's story, I'm, I'm open to the idea that there may be a spirit world and that I maybe have been a part of that or dabbling in that, I would say run. Run from anything and everything that draws you, pushes you away from Jesus Christ. So if you would say this morning, I'm sitting in my seat and I'm open to the spirit world. Uh, In general, I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm just talking about the spirit world in general. I would say this to you. I'm glad you're here. We welcome you. We hope you enjoy the coffee. And we hope you found where the restrooms were. Uh, We care about you, but that is, hear me, and my care for you, that's one of the foolish things that a person could ever say. I'm just open to anything spiritual, okay? Because why, and again, I mean that lovingly, it's as if you've said, I trust all people. Does anybody here trust all people? I don't trust all people. You learn who you can trust and who you can't trust, right? Um, we, We guard very carefully those of us who have kids who they spend time with, right? We heard in Tanya's story this morning, tragically, that bad things happen to great people by people who we can't trust. And so it's as foolish as saying, I trust all people. I would never tell you as your pastor, all people are good. Just pick one and trust them. Just send your kids over. Go ahead. It's okay. In the same way, I would never say all spirits are okay. Just try them all. Just put them on a big Neapolitan ice cream cone and start licking. Just try everything. I would never advise anybody to do that. There are those philosophies out there that seek to do Harm, And what Paul is saying is that behind certain philosophies and trends and false teachings, there is absolutely a satanic force at work. And you say, Pastor, well, what philosophy was Paul fighting in particular? I don't know that the book of Colossians is very clear on what heresy uh, he was fighting in the Colossian church. I know in general there was docetism and Sabellianism, and Arianism, and uh, what was uh, Pelagianism, and the most common often in the New Testament was Gnosticism that they were fighting. And all these are a little different. They're also similar. They're very spiritual. But there's some things that are off. And without going into detail, I would just say that Paul is generally and simply... And I'm doing this, I'm going to get a little more specific toward my conclusion, which is coming soon. 
But he's just generally cautioning us that anything outside of God's word, anything outside of Jesus, be careful of, beware of, because other philosophies exist. So if something doesn't point you toward Jesus, run from it. That's what he's saying. If a worldview doesn't point you toward Jesus, run from it. If your boyfriend or girlfriend does not point you toward Jesus, run from him or her. If a version of Christianity, a version, doesn't point you toward Jesus Christ, run from it. If a version of Christianity points you to a few of God's attributes like love and patience and kindness, but not all of God's attributes like justice, including holiness, including righteousness, run! It's not biblical Christianity. We don't get to cherry pick the parts of God's character that we like and throw the others out. Dispose of them. Um, Let me get just a little more specific. The statement, God is love, is incredibly popular right now. It's trending. That's great in one sense because it's 100% true. But do you know what else it is? It's remarkably incomplete. If God is only love, then there is no hell. Because God tolerates everyone and everything. Tolerance used to mean, are you ready? Tolerance used to mean, I endure with you. In other words, I put up with you. That's what tolerance used to mean. That definition has been changed. Today, tolerance now means, I rejoice with you. I stand with you. I agree with you. And anything less then that is described as intolerance. That's a big difference. There's a big difference. Over here, you and I disagree, but I love you, so I put up with you. The old definition. And over here, the new definition, we don't disagree. We're both right, and you must rejoice with me and my worldview. And if you don't, You're intolerant, okay? And the first thing that may pop in your mind as I'm using the word tolerance, and I'm not using it intentionally, but it's become a buzzword around the gender wars, right? So that's likely where your mind goes, or around the sexuality wars. But this extends to political affiliation. This extends to the race wars, This extends to all kinds of behaviors. In one sense, please understand, the God of the Bible is incredibly tolerant. He is. It's part of his character. Here's what he says. Everybody come to me. Come to me. I don't care what your race is. I don't care what your gender is. I don't care where on any spectrum you identify. I am not mindful of your political affiliation. Whatever your crazy behavior has been, come to me. Whatever insane things you've done, come to me. And because God loves us, he loves us so much that he welcomes us as we are, but he loves us too much to allow us to remain where we are. What are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm saying simply. God is so loving that he doesn't just 
tolerate you. He changes you. That's what God does. Think about it this way, more specifically. Tolerance is the complete opposite of repentance. Repentance is a gospel tenet. Because tolerance says this, there's nothing about you that needs to change. Does that sound like a gospel truth? No. There's nothing about you that needs to change. I'm tolerant of you, okay? The gospel says what? It's contradictory to that, I'll tell you. We're all sinners, right? We're living contrary to the way God's designed us. And therefore, we all need grace. We need a hero. We need a savior. And in fact, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, he nailed what has been called the 95 Theses to the door of the Pope at Wittenberg. And this was a list of 95 things that he felt needed to change in the church to bring them back to orthodox, faithful Christianity. The first line read this way. All of the Christian's life is one of repentance. Of repentance. So the God of the Bible demonstrates amazing tolerance when he says, come as you are, but then he calls us to repentance saying, acknowledge who you are and in his love, change who you are. That's Christianity. And for the Christian, that's from God's perspective. From our perspective, repentance is saying, God, you're right. I'm wrong. You're holy. I'm unholy. And if I have a disagreement with you, God, I'm not expecting you to change course. I'm the one who needs to change course. I desire you. I long for you. You're my greatest affection. So, please understand, and I think I said this to you last week or the week prior, you can sit there and be a pitchfork Christian, and I hope that's not what's happening this morning, in the sense that you, in your mind, scoop all of that up and toss it at whoever you think needs to hear that most in society as you're listening. If you do that, you're missing it because here's what I'm trying to communicate. We're all guilty. All of us. We are all in need of the grace of God. We all need to hold God as our deepest desire. We all need to change our behavior accordingly. The philosophy that says, I celebrate everyone and everything is a strong, strong current. And it sounds so good. It sounds so enticing. And I'll say this to the younger people. If your goal is to be liked best for people, it is oftentimes not what they think is best for them. I'll close with this analogy. How many of you are parents and have at least one child? Okay, lots of you. I would imagine you love your child enough to say to them what I'm saying God's character is toward us. Let me say that again. I trust that you love your child enough that you currently say to your child or said to your child when they were in your home, what I'm telling you, God the Father's character is toward us. And I'll say it this way. I love you. Isn't this what we say as parents to children? I love you. Come as you are. Come as you are. We're going to talk about this situation. Anybody ever said that to your child? We're going to talk about this situation. You need to understand this. You need to understand this. I love you so much 
that I cannot let you continue to be like this. This needs to change. This is not how the Burris family operates. See, I've said that. I'll continue to say that. God is a father. He loves, he welcomes his kids. He loves his kids. He parents his kids. And he doesn't just celebrate his kids. He transforms them. That's who he is. And so before we need to ask or say to God, how dare you, we ought to think about our parenting. Because it's quite similar. Father, we love you. We trust you. I pray that you would help us to be more like you. Lord, part of being more like you is loving the people of this world. Lord, you sent Jesus to a dark place. Lord, you say that we're supposed to be in the world and not of it. We're not supposed to separate ourselves from the world. We're supposed to have our, our tentacles, our, our, uh, our people in every crack and crevice to bring light. But I pray specifically this morning, Lord, that we would not be tainted in the process. Lord, that we would identify the philosophies, the ways of thinking that will drown us. And that we will submit them to you, to your word as truth. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.